Thanks for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to hear about how God is using Adventure Church to speak and work in your life. If you've got a story you'd like to share, please do so on adventurechurch.tv slash mystory. Also, if you'd like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. Kyle introduced me a little bit, but I want to introduce you to my family because that is just such a huge part of my life. So I got a picture, and right there in the middle of everything is my wife, my beautiful wife, Denny, D-E-N-I, and uh, Denny is a, she's my wife, she's a mom, and she's a photographer, and that is pretty much why that picture doesn't look like me because she's a great photo editor as well. So if you're in need of some services, she can take your picture and make you look better than you really do. That's when people look at that and be like, that ain't you. Well, it is, but it's just the touched up edited version. And uh, to your right is my oldest daughter, Shana. She is now 20 years old and she's actually in California right now through going through an entrepreneurial internship. Uh, when she graduated, she decided that she wanted to take a year and go on the foreign missions field. And so she went to Africa. She went to Africa for a year, got some schooling while she was there. And then on the way home, apparently uh, she missed Ohio and landed in Minnesota. And that's where she goes to school now. So she went from Africa to Minnesota. So her, 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 her whole body is just still adjusting to all that climate change. But uh, then lay, or sitting next to my wife there is the little redhead, and that's her mini-me. And her name is Hannah. She's my 10-year-old. And I like to say this about Hannah. This, this stage is not big enough for her personality. She's back there, and seriously, we just walked in to make sure that they were in the kids' space, which they love, kids', uh, kids church. And I always get the full report on, how'd you like it? And they love kids' church. So if your kids aren't in church, this is a great church to put them in to kids' ministry. And she's back there entertaining. She's got everybody doing hula hoop tournaments. She's building blocks. She's building everything. And I just say that she is the typical, every, every stereotypical thing you can say about a redhead, she fits it. And I always say it's a redhead, it's, it's a stereotype for a reason. Apparently there's enough research out there to warrant there being a stereotype and she just fits that personality. She's just all energy, full of life. And then my youngest uh, laying on my wife's lap right there. I introduce her as my last attempt for a boy, and her name is Reagan, and Reagan is just, she is such a joy. She's the kid that, she's not going to be mean, but she's just going to say it. She's just going to say it, just, let's, let's just say it, kind of like that, let's see what we got to do to get thrown out of this place, but uh, she's, the, she's left-handed, which means I don't know how she thinks, and she's a female, so I'm just, I, I don't know how to relate to her. Um, but she's more of the athlete, lacrosse, and I'm thinking, yes, that means a good scholarship if you can stick with this. He's already got one in college, so we need that. But there's a little girl in there, not, she's not pictured, and we have another daughter, and her name is Megan. And I'm going to talk about Megan in just a little bit and, and give you uh, insight as to why she's not there. But if you have more than one kid, isn't it amazing how different they are? Isn't it crazy that these two, three, however many individuals can come from the same two people and be absolutely nothing alike? One of my favorite stories to illustrate just the difference in my youngest two, uh, last year was like the first day of school. Come home, and first day of school, you just want to hear how it went, and you're just so excited, and they came home with homework. And my wife was telling me about this homework, and it was all about, you know, goal setting and, and, and just checking in and how you're going to measure that and all this stuff. And she says, uh-uh, dude, this is all you. So I'm like, yes, this is right up my alley. I pulled out the whiteboard. 
I love the whiteboard. I bust this thing out. I've got the different color markers in every one of them. My 10-year-old, she's in it. I said, all right, Hannah, what are your goals? That's, what, that's the assignment. What are your goals for the end of the year? And then you have to back that out and say, all right, now how are you going to accomplish those goals? How are you going to measure those goals? When are you going to check in? We nailed it. My 10-year-old is all up in this, and I am now the best parent in the world. We are rocking this thing. My kid's exposed to the whiteboard, which means she's going to be successful in life. And I'm just, I'm just awesome. And then it comes time for my 8-year-old. And I said, all right, Ray. Ray, Reagan, Ray, Ray. I just call her any and all of those. I said, all right, Ray, your turn. Come on over. And, she's, and I'm going to talk like Reagan just to kind of illustrate the story of when Reagan's talking and when Reagan's, or when I'm talking. And Reagan kind of mixes her aws and her W's. They kind of still sound a little bit like that. So I said, all right, Ray, your turn. She's like, I don't want to do that. I said, you don't want to do what? I don't want to do that. She didn't want to do the whiteboard. To which I respond, whose kid are you? Because I don't know any kid that wouldn't want to do a whiteboard at eight years old. So now I'm thinking, oh, this kid's destined. She's not going to be as successful. Anyway, she's more of the cuddler. She wants to sit in my lap, and she just wants to... Actually, she's left-handed again, so she's got that artsy mind brain. She just wants to draw. I'm like, no, 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 no. We've got columns, and we've got rows, and we've got headers, and we've got bold and underlines, and she's just like, no. I said, Ray, what are your goals for the end of the year? And she just says, well, I just want to be more awesome. And I said, well, that's a pretty good goal, but how are we going to measure that? How are we going to know if at the end of this year you're more awesome than you are right now? Because you're pretty awesome. Nothing. Nothing. Not even a look. Just keeps doodling on the paper. Oh, sorry. Doodling on the paper with his left hand. And I said, all right, Ray, we've got to put something on this paper. So what are some things that that you're going to do that's going to let other people see that you're more awesome at the end of the year than you are right now? Total silence. Now I'm the worst parent in the world. I cannot even get my kid to look at a whiteboard, let alone draw on that whiteboard. And now here's what's going through my head. As you parents, you know this. I'm going to fail this school assignment. I am going to fail this first homework assignment. It's not about this kid anymore. It's about me right now, people. And I'm going to pass this thing. So I've taken some coaching, and I thought, all right, I'm going to reframe this. If you ever try to reframe something for an eight-year-old, just save the time because it doesn't work. So I said, all right, Ray, what are some things that when other people look at you, they're going to know that you're more awesome? Total silence. And I just said, all right, Ray, we've got to turn something in. I'm now frustrated. She's frustrated. My wife's pretty much just saying, just shut this whole thing down before you both end in an explosion. And I said, Reagan, we've got to put something on this paper. What are you going to do? That at the end of this year, people are going to look at you and say, Reagan is now more awesome. And she just looks up at me in equal frustration and she just says, I'm just going to do some wooey awesome stuff. And I said, all right. And we turned it in and she passed. So everything was wonderful. But she just says, I'm going to do some wooey awesome stuff. And I think as churches, that's what we're called to do. As followers of Christ, we are called to do some wooey, awesome stuff. And I believe that life, serving Christ, is an adventure. I, believe, I, I got a buddy who says, if, if you're not having fun serving Jesus, you're doing it wrong. 
It's an adventure. It is a joy. And there are many reasons that people don't want anything to do with that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And I love how Kyle says, you guys have like six births a month. I think that's fantastic. I mean, you name a church, Adventure Church, and you're just going to have all these babies sprouting up because that's an adventure as well. So well done with that. And well done with your church growth strategy. That's fantastic. That is called legacy. And this baby is going to go on for years and years and years. So keep up the adventure of, of, of that. But I feel like, you know, I'm going to talk today a little bit about multiply. And I think there are some things that we just wish we could multiply. There are some things that we don't want to multiply too. I told you I spent about five weeks at camp. And one of the things at camp every week was lice. Lice is one of those things you do not want to multiply. There's nothing about that that you want to multiply. And, and here's, a, here's, a, here's a cool little stat for you. You know why lice is spreading at such a rapid pace these days? Lice is now, it's jumping from head to head to head to head. Why? The selfie. Everybody's putting their heads together and snapping these pictures, and lice is just jumping from one place to another. So the selfie is actually one of the biggest reasons that lice is just growing and growing. And I see a lot of you scratching your heads right now, and you're about to walk out on that patio and shave your heads. But lice is one of those things you don't want to multiply. Other things you don't want to multiply, if you see your kid go back there and there's maybe a kid with pink eye or something, you're like, no, 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 we don't want anything to do with that because that multiplies. That's a negative thing that you don't want to multiply. The cold, any of that stuff, you don't want it to multiply. In the chair I sit in at this office, one of the things that we don't want to multiply is churches with unhealthy DNA. We don't want anything, we don't, we don't want those to multiply. It's almost like don't even, don't even call yourself followers of Christ because there's nothing about that that others would look at and say that's glorifying to God. But there are things that we do want to multiply. You know, you can look around this room and say, hey, what if, if, if the angel of God came down right now and said one thing, I will, I will multiply one thing in your life. Some of you would say, I, want, I just need more hair. Some of you would say, I just want to multiply the muscle to eat some of this fat that I've got going on. Some of you would say, I just want to multiply my finances. Some of you would say, I just want to multiply. You'd get real spiritual and you'd say, I just want to multiply world peace. Some of you would say some of that. But you know what? I've never asked that question. and I've never heard somebody say, I want to multiply the character and nature of Jesus in my life. And now here's the crazy thing. If Jesus did multiply his character and his nature in your life, what would change? Would anybody even notice? Would anybody have any idea that the character and nature of Jesus has been multiplied in you? Because if, if whoever Jesus is to you right now is zero, zero times zero is still zero. Little bit time, a little bit makes a little bit more, but it's not like it's going to be this overwhelming change in your life. What if Jesus multiplied his character and nature in your life right now? Would anything change? Would anybody even notice? One of the things I heard somebody say to me before is, Gary, don't ever pray what to preach. You preach what you pray. And so from my prayer time, I remember just struggling with this question. If Jesus isn't changing your life, is he really Lord of your life? Because Jesus can be my Savior and still not be the Lord of my marriage. Jesus can be my Savior and still not be Lord at work. Jesus can be my Savior and still not be Lord of my finances because I'm not tithing. I'm not do, giving the missions. I'm not doing the things that, that he commands us to do. He can be Lord of your life, or he can be the Savior and still not be the center, the Lord of your life. We're going to look at John chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to look at the power of Jesus just multiply. 
And I love this story. And if you grew up in church, you may have heard this story of the Samaritan woman or Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. So we're going to look at John chapter 4, and uh, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to walk through this, and then we're going to unpack some things and uh, see, where that, where, see where God takes us this morning. Chapter uh, 4, verse 5 through 15, Jesus, Jesus is walking through. Just a little bit of background. Jesus is kind of going back to Galilee, and he has to pass through Samaria, and that's where this story takes place. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now, we're going to come back to that reason. It's about noon because I feel like there's some significance there, and I want to, we're going to want to bring us back to that in just a second. When a Samaritan woman came to draw the water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Because his disciple had gone into town to get him some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you even ask me for a drink? Because they didn't associate. And now if we can just pause there for a second and say, yeah, that story was written thousands of years ago. Don't we still do this? Why are you talking to me? I mean, we may be beyond the male and female thing, but, but the race thing, you wish we were further past it, but, but maybe you're white and I'm black. You're, you're a Muslim and I'm a Jew. You're a, a transgender and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian and I'm an atheist. Don't we still do this? Why are you even talking to me? Because I don't see that we have a whole lot to talk about. And I think that's so sad that we're still there, but I believe that's how the enemy wants it. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and a well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And here's the part where you feel like she's getting it. She is starting to understand what Jesus is saying. And she said, sir, give me this water so I will not thirst again. And then here's the part where you're like, wah, wah. She didn't really get it. She says, because I don't want to have to keep coming back to this well to draw water. He's talking spiritual, and she's talking physical. He's talking, he's talking about spiritual life, and she's talking about just physical thirst. I believe that most people don't reject Jesus. They reject your version of Jesus. The version of Jesus that you're demonstrating is what, what probably turns most people off to Jesus. I told you that we have another daughter, and her name is Megan. And about 12 years ago, Megan was born with a heart defect. And we, we knew that when she was in the womb, she had a, a heart with only three chambers. And obviously, our hearts have four chambers, so she wasn't going to be able to live, probably not even through the pregnancy is what they told us. They said, they actually said, we can get the insurance to abort, we can do all this stuff. And we just said, no, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have this child. And uh, so after the baby was born, they said, well, if you don't do something, as soon as the baby's detached from mom's umbilical cord, she will die if she even makes it that long. And so we had the baby, and, and she lived and detached her, and we called in all the family and said, hey, come say hello to your granddaughter and come say goodbye to your granddaughter at the same breath because this kid could go any minute. And this kid lived for four days. She wasn't supposed to even be born alive. She wasn't supposed to be uh, alive once we detached from the umbilical cord. And then she wasn't supposed to live, you know, five, ten minutes. And this kid lived for four days. 
And you know what? We did all the things that everybody else would do. We went through the spiritual checklists of, you know what? We're going to begin to pray. We're going to fast. We're going we're to send money to all these other ministries and ask them to pray and fast. We're going we're to do everything we can that we can do. And I was a youth pastor during this time. So every Wednesday night, I would stand up and tell kids, Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection, Jesus Christ, a miracle worker, by his stripes we are healed. I would tell them all these things. And I believe all those things. But at the time, I was struggling. Because you can, you can ask for God to help you find your car keys, and you can, you can ask God to help you get into a certain school, and he does that. But my daughter is dead. God, why do you answer this prayer but not these prayers? And I was at a crossroads. And I thought, man... I either need to get all into this, and I believe it, or I just need to be done with this whole thing. And it was in that time of, of faith and, and really understanding what faith is and not what I want it to be that I actually had somebody come to me and say, if you would have only had more faith, your daughter wouldn't have died. And I thought, man, how much faith do you have? Because I'm about to punch you in the head. Do you have enough faith that that fist won't hit you right in the forehead? I didn't say that, but I thought, you know what? That's confusing because I knew I needed Jesus. But I didn't want anything to do with whatever that was. I knew I needed grace. I knew I needed compassion. I knew I needed comforted. But I didn't want nothing to do with whatever that was. Because I believe that most people don't reject Jesus. They reject your version of Jesus. The three of the things that I want to unpack uh, in our time together is just these three statements. We avoid people who don't approve of us. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Everyone needs water, and my life says more than my words. Isn't it true that we all want to be where somebody wants, wants us to be? They welcome us. That's why I love this church. You, you people had no idea who I was when you walked in here, but you were so warm and welcome, and you made sure my kids were checked in. This is a very warm and inviting church, and that's the kind of DNA that we want to multiply all around this state and all around this country. But the, the two places I think of when I think of just that, that uh, illustration of everybody wants to be somewhere they feel welcome, do you have a firehouse subs around here? I love firehouse subs. When I'm having one of those days where it's just like, man, I'm just feeling defeated. I need to feel pepped up. Yeah, I, well, I want a comfort eat, but why do I go to firehouse subs? Because when I walk in that door, 10, 12, welcome to firehouse. And I'm like, yes, they're glad I'm here. Woo, they wanted me here. I, they are glad I'm here. Look at that. And then they do it to everybody else that walks through, so that kind of minimizes it a little bit. But I still felt good when I walked in. I felt really good about walking into firehouse subs. They're glad I'm here. Now parallel that with the first day of like seventh grade lunchtime. Oh, you got that pit in your stomach. So some of you are still scratching your head from the lights. Now you got that pit in your stomach too. You're like, man, that guy's an idiot. I don't want to go hear him again. So you're walking in. You got your tray. You got your really cool lunch box, and you're looking in through that cafeteria. What are you looking for? You're looking for one of two things. You're looking for somebody to say, hey, 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 Gary, come on over here. Come sit with us. We got an open seat. You want to feel welcome. You want to feel invited over. You want to feel like your presence is, is, is you're going to be missed if you're not there. And if you can't find that, the other thing that you're looking for is at least somebody that won't reject you. Right? You're looking for that person that's just kind of sitting there with their head down, and there's so many seats around them, there's no way they can say all these seats are saved. You're looking for somebody to welcome you, or you're looking for somebody at least that won't reject you, because we all have this desire to belong. And I believe that's true about this woman at the well. Think about it for a second. She went at noon. 
Why did she travel in the heat of the day with empty containers only to fill them up and make them heavier and then travel the same distance carrying all that weight in the heat of the day? Because most people in that culture, they would go in the morning when it was cool or in the evening when it was cooling off to prepare for the next day. Why did she go in the heat of the day? I believe she needed the water, but she didn't want to deal with the people. She needed the water, but she didn't want to deal with the drama. And if you unpack her story a little bit, she has a reputation, and she's probably tired of people talking about it. She's probably tired of people reminding her of that. And I believe that some people don't want to avoid Jesus. They want to avoid so-called Christians. Because this woman who was traveling in the heat of the day could have easily gone at a different time, but she didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to feel like she was being judged. She didn't want to feel like she was unwelcome there. She even says this. She says, why are you talking to me? She's telling Jesus this. Why are you even talking to me? What if people sought you out because you're a follower of Jesus instead of avoiding you because you're a Christian? Boy, could you imagine what would multiply then? Why do you think church plants are, as Kyle said, the church plants see more people come to Christ than, than any church. They, once you get beyond 10 years, it's, it's like people look at that differently. And they say, ah, there's too much red tape over there. They're gossipy. There's a clique. And I can't ever get on stage. I can't ever get involved. People, they won't welcome me there. That's what they're saying. I don't know that I'll be welcome there. I don't know that I'll fit in. Whereas a new church, it's like, well, everybody's new, so we're all in the same boat. And I pray that you never lose that warm, welcoming environment. Because you're going to have your reputation, and it might as well be a really great one. Because church plants are the best way for people to come to know Jesus. And I believe that, that I've gone to churches, and maybe you have too, and maybe that's why you're here, because you've gone to other churches, and, and you left there feeling more condemned than encouraged. You left there feeling bad, as opposed to being you're filled with life. Like, this thing is an adventure, as opposed to, well, it's just a bunch of rules, and just a bunch of stuff you've got to do, and the stuff you can't do. I believe that if God wanted to condemn us, he would have sent a condemner, but he didn't. He sent his son. He sent a redeemer, and he wants to be Lord of our lives, and our job isn't to tell people what they're doing wrong. Our job is to tell people about Jesus. Everyone, everyone needs water, and I believe that most people don't reject Jesus. They reject your version of Jesus. Isn't it hard? As if you're a parent, isn't the best person that you go to for advice Isn't that people without kids? Don't you love getting advice from people without kids if you have children? No, you don't because they don't have any idea what you're talking about. They have no recollection of anything that you're going through, and then they're going to try to tell you how to do it. Well, I'll tell you what you need to do. Oh, is that what you do with your kids? Well, no, I don't have any. It's something about that. You you don't have any. They have no credentials. There's no credibility there at all, so you just pretty much ignore them because you don't want to hear it. Why? Because they're not living the life that they're trying to tell you how to live. I don't golf much, but I I love going out. But every time I golf, I'm always with, and you are too, you know this, you're always with that one person that just wants to make you better. I'm not interested in being better. I go out more for social than anything. I'll get up, I'll tee that ball, and it's off into the woods. And then there's always that one person. Well, Gary, I'll tell you what you got to do. You got to tee that up. You got to choke up on your club. You got to open your stance. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me see you hit the ball first. Now, why am I asking that question? Because if you can't hit it any better than what I just did, I am not taking your advice. Because if all you're going to do is take me from that side of the woods to that side of the woods, at least I know how to hit from over there. What am I saying? I need to see you living it before I'm going to take any advice from you. And I believe that's how we are as Christians. 
Then how can we tell people about Jesus if they don't see Jesus in our own lives? How can we talk to them about this, this, this God of joy and peace if we don't ever have joy and peace in our own lives? How can we talk to them about being the Lord of our marriage when our, our marriage is an absolute train wreck? How can we talk to them about biblical giving when we're not doing it ourselves? How can we let other people see Jesus in our lives if we're not living it? The container matters. Everybody needs water, and the container matters. We have the purest living water, and we're the vessel. We're the container that's, uh, that's going to present this to people. And the people may want what's in it, but if the vessel is dirty, nobody's going to drink from a dirty cup. Nobody wants anything to do with that because you are contaminating the content. And I believe that everyone needs water. Everyone wants water, but they, and they don't necessarily reject the content. They reject the container, and that's us. Most people don't reject Jesus. They reject your version of Jesus. And what if your version of Jesus was multiplied right now? What would change? What would change? Would, you even, would anybody even notice? My life says more than my words. I love this part of the scripture in John 4, 39 through 42. It says, Mary, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Now, I love that because it says many believed. And think about that statement for a minute. The woman who was traveling in the heat of the day to avoid people is now the one telling people about Jesus and many are coming to know him. I love that part of the story because she's sharing her story and other people are hearing it and they are responding. The woman, the woman goes and starts to tell of the changes and people can see the changes in her life and they get curious and watch what happens here. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we've heard it for ourselves and we know this is indeed the savior of the world. There is a difference between stories and an experience. And I, I believe that, that, you know, there's a, this crew going to Haiti, and when they come back, they are going to have so many stories that they're going to share, and you're going to listen for a short time. And you're going to look at the pictures, and you're going to be like, oh, that's a really great story. But to them, it's an experience. Because they were the ones that when they look at those pictures again, when they're telling those stories, their, their hearts are going to start to beat faster. They're going to remember the look in those little kids' eyes when they give them something they've never had, when they hug somebody that doesn't have a parent, when they're, when they're able to offer them something that nobody else has ever offered, when they find out that these people from North America are paying for themselves to come over here and do something that people that live here aren't going to do, that is sacrificial. That is selfless. And to them, it's an experience. But to you, it's a story. It's a really great story. I remember when my, my 10-year-old, I was traveling and I was speaking at a different church and there was pre-service prayer and my 10-year-old redhead was just standing here next to me as they were praying and I just looked down and she's just like, I mean, she, when she cries, it's like red-faced, splotches everywhere, uncontrollable sob and she's just crying. And I just knelt down and I said, honey, what's going on? She said, I don't even know. I don't even know. I just can't even stop crying. I don't know what this is. I don't know how to stop it. And I said, sweetheart, you are experiencing the presence of God. And she says, oh, like you talk about? Yes. When I talk about it, it's a story. But when you live it, it's an experience. And there's something about this place that can only be experienced. Your stories should bring people in. But it's going to be the power of God through worship, through the time in the Word, through interaction with you, that they're going to experience something that they can't get by just hearing you talk about it. 
Why do you need to invite people? Why is the best day ever going to be a packed out place? Because you're going to go and you're going to share your story. But the goal isn't for, for you to just get them to come to church. The goal is for them to come into this place and experience God in a way that they can't experience it outside of this place until they get to know him, until they find out what it is that brought them here. I believe that your beliefs must align with your actions, and people see your message louder than they hear your message. You know, what if your daily life confirmed your relationship with Jesus instead of confused other people about it? It's one thing to hear about Jesus. It's another thing for them to experience Jesus for themselves. I spent, I spent a few years in the military. I was in the Air Force, and I went in during Desert Storm and all that, and I never got deployed. I never saw any wartime action or anything like that. But one of my greatest claims to fame while I was in the military is that my room never failed an inspection. Now, that's a pretty good career right there. My room never failed an inspection. Now, the funny part of that, and it was inspected a lot, but the funny part of that is that my room appeared clean, but it wasn't necessarily clean. Now, what did I do? I went and bought the, the strongest smelling cleaner I could possibly get, and I just put it on a rag, and I just put it on the door frame of my room. And then they, and I picked it up. I mean, my room was picked up enough that if you walked in, you wouldn't really notice anything is going to jump out at you. But if you walked in, you'd see lint on the carpet. You'd see maybe toothpaste residue in the sink and maybe a spot on the mirror. My bed certainly wasn't going to bounce any kind of quarters. And you'd probably find some dust. But you're going to have to go in. You're going to have to get beyond the, beyond the, the initial and get a little bit deeper. But they never got deeper because they'd walk in and be like, whoo, this room is clean. And all I did was put pine saw on the door frame. And then I started thinking, well, if that worked, then I'm going to put it on both sides of the door frame. So now my, they don't even open up my door. So my room never really failed an inspection because it was never really inspected. Why? Because I portrayed something to be true that wasn't necessarily true. And I believe that's what we do as Christians. We want people to think we are a certain way, and we're putting pine salt on the door frame. We want people to see our Facebook and think that we really love Jesus, but we don't want to really love Jesus in our marriages. We want people to, to see how generous we are, but yet we're not going to tithe. We want people to see how sacrificial we're living, but yet we won't help out our real neighbors. That's putting pine salt on the doorframe. And I feel like there's a lot of people that do that, just put pine salt on the doorframe. Why would people want what we claim to have if they don't see it working in our own lives? You know, one of my, I, I used to hate this cartoon character as a, as a kid. You remember, remember that dog, that droopy dog? You remember that thing? What I hated about him is his, his life and his message just did not line up. And I didn't know it at the time, but his stupid little dog walking around saying, I'm so happy. And there is nothing about that dog that makes you want, want what that dog has. That dog does not look happy. There's nothing about that dog that looks happy. But I feel like that's what we do as Christians too. It's that droopy dog Christianity. I'm going to complain on Facebook, but I'm going to mask it as a prayer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to complain and talk negatively about somebody, but I'm going to make it look like I'm doing it as a prayer request. I'm just, it's, it's, we portray things that, that really aren't what Jesus wants us to portray, that character and nature of Jesus, that droopy dog Christianity, the pine saw on the doorframe. If your life is so stressed out and chaotic and, and, and super busy, why would anybody want the peace that comes from knowing Jesus if you're not living it? You're talking about it, but you're not living it. Why would anybody want the, 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 the chaos that comes with that lifestyle that you're living, but you're standing up talking about joy and peace and kindness, but nobody can see it in your own lives? What would happen if, if you started to really live the Jesus that we claim to represent? 
My life says more than my words. If my words don't align with what I say I believe, people will not accept the message from me. It's trying to hand somebody clean water in a dirty cup. They're not going to do it. Most people don't reject Jesus. They reject your version of Jesus. So let's just review real quick. The three things we talked about, we avoid people who don't approve of us, and that's what I love about Adventure Church, and I just, want again, want to say thank you for welcoming us, for, for opening the doors, for greeting us, for really taking care of us to make sure our kids were taken care of. This is a warm, welcoming <clears throat> environment, and I just want to say thank you because people want to attend where they feel like they belong. Everyone needs water. Some people, no matter how desperately they need the water, Jesus They're going to reject it if they don't see it in you. If the container is dirty, they will not accept the water. And then my life says more than my words. People are looking and listening to your life more than they're actually watching the words that you say. People hear your message. People see your message louder than they hear your message. When I was a youth pastor, I would always say this to to my students, and I say this to my kids even now. God has a plan for your life, and I truly believe that with all my heart, but so does the enemy. God has a plan for your life, but so does the devil. And guess which plan we get to walk out? Whichever one we choose. It's totally up to us. God has a plan, but so does the devil. I think one of the, part, one of the things that the enemy is trying to do right now is make it seem like there's no consequences to sin. That, hey, if you do this, that's okay. We're just going to take those parts out of the Scripture, and we're not going to call that sin. We're not going to talk about that. We're actually going to outlaw. We're going we're to make it a law that you can't do those things. We're going to make it a law that you have to do those things because there's no consequences to bad anymore. There's no consequences to sin. There really isn't even anything bad. We're going to make everything okay. It's, therefore, there is no sin. And you've got the open and affirming churches. You've got the progressive churches. You've got the cool churches. But I don't feel like we want to multiply those churches. We need to multiply churches that are going to stand up and say, sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. Sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. And we can back that up in Scripture, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin, in in other words, our payment for what we're doing, the wages that we will receive is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no greater investment you can make than into the local church, so I thank you for, for doing what you're doing here. Uh, multiply. I pray that this church would multiply. I pray that the DNA of this church would multiply. And more than that, I just pray as followers of Christ, we would just go and do some really awesome stuff.